0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: Welcome to the Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. In this part one episode of a two-parter, I have the pleasure of being with a good friend, Christy Coors Facelli. You might have noticed her middle name actually might be recognizable, but that's how she got her entrepreneurial honesty. As the great, great granddaughter of Colorado beverage pioneer, Adolph Coors, she was raised in a family that has always put a premium on realizing her dreams through vision, dedication, and hard work. Christie's first taste of the wine business came shortly after college, working for Gallo. In addition to learning the basics of production, distribution, promotion, and sales, in a family business environment, it was at Galloway, where she also met her future husband, wine industry executive David Facelli. After completing business school in 2002, a regional sales position for Christy and a new job for Dave landed them both in Napa Valley. They immediately fell in love with the wines, the foods, and the bounty of the region, as well as a sense of family that's the heart of Napa Valley's agricultural community. Subsequent jobs unfortunately pulled away from Napa. But Christie was determined to one day return and settle with her family in Napa Valley. In 2012, Christie decided to put her plan of entrepreneurship into action and discovered Napa Valley's Goose Cross Cellars, an established boutique winery. Since then, the winery, tasting center, and the wines have really undergone an amazing transformation a beautiful new visitor center, and a brand new winery, and veteran winemaker Bill Nancaro. Bill, Christie, and Dave. Have brought a powerful new dimension to goose cross through its winemaking and its portfolio of authentic approachable and food-friendly wines and i can vouch for that christy welcome to the podcast thank you so much for being here thanks
2: for having me scott
1: yes. so christy it's hard to ignore your maiden name i mean coors you are obviously your coors descendant coors family dna for entrepreneurship runs through your veins Tell me what it's like growing up in a multi-generational family that really encouraged risk-taking and pursuing your dreams.
2: Growing up in my family was interesting because when I was growing up, the beer business and and Coors Brewing Company, or Molson Coors now, wasn't what it is today. It was much smaller, um, much more regional. And as I grew, so did the company. It allowed me to have a childhood that wasn't Beer centric, um, but to also then, as I grew up, to to understand the business a little bit more. And my dad traveled a ton for work. He was on the road all the time. And when he came home, I would talk to him about work. That was my way of connecting with my dad. And I'd ask him how things were going. And I pretended I knew what I was talking about, (laughs) even though (laughs) I didn't really know what I was talking about. You know, this is, you know, eighth, ninth grade timeframe. And it was, it was that those moments with my dad that really drove me to have, fulfill more of a business career than anything else. Um, the family never pushes you into working for one of the family businesses. We also have a ceramics company called Course Tech. So they never push you to work in one of those businesses. They really push you to find your dream, live your passion, and do what you want to do. So growing up, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the beer business and um, my adventure in wine for a couple of years and my eventual marriage to my husband caused me to really fall in love with the wine industry and helped me to understand that I really needed to do something different after 15 years in the beer business.
1: But what took you from Golden, Colorado to the Golden State?
2: College. College. So I came out here when I was 18, out here to California when I was 18, to go to Santa Clara University. Oh, okay. And I came out to visit my senior year in high school, and it was May. And it was snowing in Colorado. And I get out to California, and the palm trees, and there were (laughs) kids playing frisbee and volleyball in the Mission Gardens. And I was like, yes, this is where I'm going to school.
1: How did your... That's great. And I bet you're not the only one. My, by the way, all three of my kids did the same thing. They bolted from the East Coast and all went to schools on the West Coast.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, their, their mother's only request was that it be a nonstop flight to wherever they went.
0: Oh, that's
2: pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah, they ignored it. <laughs> How did your experience with the brewery help you prepare for your winery adventure?
2: You know, the funny thing is, when I started in the wine business and started with Goose Cross, I thought I was, I'm like, I got this, right? I know how to run a business. I was doing it at the brewery. I was not well prepared. <laughs> what it did is it gave me the sense of, of business. Um, it, it gave me the sense of how to work with customers and clients, customer service, and all those aspects of the business. But I was surprised at how different winemaking and winery life is to brewing and beer life. Um, the, the brewery was all sold through grocery stores and liquor stores and bars and restaurants. I sell 100% direct to consumer. So I don't deal with distributors and I don't deal with the restaurants and the bars. It's that plus making wine is a long process. Right, Making beer, you can turn it around. At the brewery, they turn around beer in about six weeks. You know, it's three to four years for me. So planning was difficult. Um, but really, the, the main aspect that ties the two together is the passion and drive to build a family business. So and that's what really brought it together for me.
1: So what captivated you about Goose Cross? What was so special about Goose Cross where when you came back to Napa, you said, aha, that's it. That's the place. This is what I'm going to do.
2: It was really a beautiful day in Napa in September and um, the venture capitalist who was working with Goose Cross brought me by here and I fell in love. It was the view. It was the sense of place. We're sitting right on the valley floor overlooking the Mayacama Mountains to the west and the Vaca Range to the east and we're sitting here on this pristine property and what I knew was the wines were really, really good. And the location was really, really good. It just needed a little fixer. It was a little fixer-upper. And so I knew that if I could build a new tasting room and I could allow our guests to view the vineyards instead of just the barrels, um, it would bring this whole sense of engagement with the, with the folks that came and visited us.
1: Well, I can tell you, having been there, mission accomplished, Christy. It is absolutely a stunningly beautiful vineyard the tasting room is is beautiful as well. And I have to say the hospitality that has to radiate from you because you walk in and you don't feel like you're walking in to a tasting room. You really feel like you're walking into somebody's home and they're like, Hey, want a glass of wine? <laughs> it's just, it really is a lovely place. And I have to say being on the Valley floor there. So I think you're off of state lane. Yes. It's just this beautifully undiscovered little parcel right in the middle of everything. And I absolutely love it. Tell me about the process of how you really took Goose Cross from what you discovered to what it is today.
2: I think the biggest thing was starting with the wine because everybody in Napa Valley makes great wine and the wine here at Goose Cross was great. I needed it to be exceptional. And so I brought in winemaker Bill Nancaro, who came to me after 12 years at Duckhorn. So he was the executive winemaker at Duckhorn. Um, he was the winemaker at Paradox prior to that. So we like to refer to him as Duck, Duck, Goose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very good.
2: Right. He likes his waterfowl businesses. Um, but he, when he tasted through the wines, he said, you know what, these wines don't need an A revolution. They just need an evolution. So we did a little tweaks to the barrel program. We did tweaks in the vineyard and we opened up the canopies a little bit to to give some more spotted sunlight onto the grapes. So it was just tweaks that we did to help the wine. So we have great wine and then we rebuilt the tasting room. We rebuilt a state-of-the-art winery and to give Bill the great place to make the grapes into wine as well as our visitors to enjoy them.
1: And when Bill came on board, or when you first stumbled upon Goose Cross, how many different wines were you producing at that point versus now?
2: I want to say we had 23 different wine varietals when I purchased the winery. We were known for our Riesling and our Chenin Blanc and our Orange Muscat, which were all sweet wines. Um, We were making a handful of wines off the property, as well as purchasing grapes from other um, growers around the valley. And now, I would say, usually we're trying to stay around 12 to 14 different varietals. And sometimes Bill will find something fun during harvest time, and he'll be like, Christy, they got a great lead on this wine. I'm like, all right, let's throw it in a bottle. (laughs) So um, it depends, but no more than 15 or 16 wines at any given time.
1: I have to say, you got my attention. The first time I I visited the tasting room, you got my attention with the Riesling. That is just a stunning, stunning wine. But I fell in love with Goose Cross over the Cabernet Franc. Oh,
2: my favorite.
1: There's a great story. I have to tell you, Christy, I was invited over to a friend's house about a year ago for dinner. And of course, I said, well, naturally, I'll bring wine. And they said, no, no, don't bring any wine. We have a surprise for you. And I said, oh, okay, that's kind of unusual, but sure. I mean, normally people just invite me over because they want me to bring wine. And I'm a bit of a snob. I'm not you know, I'll admit it. I, I, I like, I like a good bottle of wine. And they were serving this beautifully, this beautifully grilled flank steak. It was lovely. And they pulled out a bottle of Goose Cross Cabernet Franc. No and I damn near fell over. <laughs> I said, how in the world? Oh, my God. How do you know about this wine? They said, Scott, you knucklehead, you sent us there two years ago, and we've been saving this bottle to have with you ever since we got back from our trip. So, <laughs> just a great little story about Goose Cross and how wonderful that stunning Cabernet Franc is. Thank you. You know, I I
2: love our Cabernet Franc and it's it's special to me and once I tried it here I was like I hadn't had Cabernet Franc a whole lot in my previous life and so I've been trying to find good Cabernet Francs and there's quite a few of them out in the valley and there's quite a few that don't don't hit my palate correctly but in 2015 right early January 2015 I'm reading an article and it says Cabernet Franc the new wine of 2015 and I was like, no, it's my little secret. <laughs> Don't take my secret away. Um, but yeah, it's one of those fun wines. We make about 100 cases a year because it's planted here at our property. We just planted about another half acre of it. So we might get about 120, 130 cases in the future. Um, but it's a, it's a stunner.
1: Well, you heard it here first, folks. You got to visit the winery and make sure you get a few bottles of the, of the state lane Cabernet Franc. It's, it really is a a special wine. Love it. Love it. Love it. And speaking of visiting Napa Valley is Napa Valley open. I mean, this has been a heck of a year between the fires and the, and the pandemic. And I mean, I don't know what else can get thrown at you.
2: Uh, Just no more fires. You know, we don't have rain scheduled for the next couple of weeks here. So fingers crossed that um, we get some rain here soon to, to hold those off. You know, this has been a difficult year. I was out for a walk with my daughter and my dog on March 15th, and I get a call from the winery and they're freaking out. They're like, we just heard that the governor shut down California and all wineries have to shut down. Should we turn everybody away right now? It's like, it's three o'clock, finish the day and we'll talk about it tomorrow. This was on a Sunday. And um, by Monday we were shut down and, you know, it wasn't until mid-June that we got to open back up. And we are open. Um, Most of Napa Valley is open. Sonoma isn't as widely open as Napa is. Um, It's all for outdoor tastings. Just last Tuesday, they announced we could have 25% of our guests indoors. But as you know, Scott, our tastings are planned to be outside. Um, We have a beautiful deck overlooking the vineyard. And so we don't need to bring people inside. So it's been a real blessing for us. And Napa Valley is open. The sky is blue and beautiful today, which is fantastic. Uh, we had about six weeks where um, you couldn't see the sun. And mm. it was really sad because in the winter, when you can't see the sun, it's okay because it's raining. But in the summer, because of smoke, it's it was really tough on the business. It was tough for the grapes. Um, but we're bouncing back as Napa always does. Very resilient little town.
1: It really is. And I think a lot of people forget that, As big as Napa is, it's really a small community made up of family-owned wineries, just like yours.
2: Yeah, it is. And, you know, everybody helps each other out. And even when we were debating whether we were going to pick our grapes or not, um, people were sending information around um, different wineries were sending us information. Hey, we tested our grapes. They came back fine or we test our grapes from this area and they're in good shape, no smoke taint. So it was really a community all coming together. And that's what I love about this area is that it's a community, people help each other out. I spent 15 years in the beer business and it is cutthroat, right? And you don't share secrets in the in the beer business. But in the wine industry, in this valley, we do. We share secrets, we share help and support and people and it's fantastic.
1: I can't say enough wonderful things about both Goose Cross and the family-owned wineries of of Napa, but I will say that I am getting fairly thirsty. So, Christy, (laughs) it's now time to find out what's in your glass.
2: What's in my glass? Mm, Today, we're going to taste through two wines. Good. Um, One, I don't believe we had the Holly's Block when you were here.
1: No, I don't Um, think so.
2: It's been a while since you've been out here to visit me. We're gonna taste through two wines. So the first one is the State Lane Cabernet. I should have done the Cab Franc, but then I would have made you really jealous. Um,
1: yeah, but have jumped through the screen.
2: <laughs> um, we're gonna do the State Lane Cabernet, Cabernet and then we're gonna do Holly's Block, which is a um, single block wine from our property, which is the section of of land that we have planted to vines right outside the tasting deck. So it's what people look at all the time. And it's our best block of, of Cabernet.
1: Which, by the way, I have to say, the winery, again, I know I keep saying the winery, the winery, the tasting room. I, I have to say, when you come into that tasting room and those doors, the glass doors on the other side of the tasting room, yeah. just op- the accordion, right? The accordion right open onto that yep. deck. Right open. It's You really do bring the outside in. It's just a wonderful experience. Yeah.
2: And that was always the plan. Um, the, the tasting room when I first bought it was in the barrel cellar. So there were no windows. It was kept at 65 degrees. Um, it smelled great because you could smell the wine in the barrels, um, but the fans were loud and it was you know this cement room. And I was like, when you have this view, you've got to use it. So when I hired my architect, I said, I want to be able to see from the front door to the back door, all the way through this building out to the vineyards. And he accomplished that perfectly.
1: You know, what else is accomplished perfectly is your Cabernet Sauvignon. So what's the vintage on this one?
2: Well, right now on our 2016. So from our estate, we make a Cabernet, a Cabernet Franc, a Merlot, a red blend, which we call Eros. Eros is the great God of passion and love. And um, we just planted Malbec. So in a couple years, we'll have a Malbec from the property as well. So, um, Love this Cabernet. It's what what we're known for in Napa Valley is Cabernet. And this one is is no, no less than any other Cabernet that I find. And frankly, I think it's very well-priced um, in case any of your listeners are out there looking to buy some wine for the holidays. It's 90% Cabernet. We do put about 6% Petit Verdot and 2% Merlot into this wine. And we do that to round out the palate. So Bill is always telling me, he's like, do you feel the donut in the middle of your, of your tongue where there's nothing hitting it? That's what the Merlot does. It really fills out the middle palate. And then the Petit Verdot just gives it a little bit of extra um, pizzazz. So I think this is a fantastic Cabernet. We do about sixty percent, 65% new oak um, on this cab. It's got beautiful, dark dark red and black fruits, um, some blackberry and black cherries coming through. You also get the lightness of raspberries. Um, So it's one of those that I could drink all day long. And one of the things I've told Bill is I want wine that you could either drink with food or on its own. And I believe this Cabernet stands out where you could drink it on its own. You don't need food with it. You don't need a big steak, but you can if you want.
1: Sounds perfect to me. <laughs> I wish I was there.
2: I know. I wish you were with so, me.
1: So this is the 2016 State Lane Cabernet Sauvignon from Goose Cross. Yes. And you mentioned uh, maybe the price for the holidays.
2: Eighty-five dollars.
1: Eighty-five dollars. Okay.
2: Yeah. So it's a it's a fantastic you know go with everything type of wine um, that people can enjoy throughout the holidays. I even enjoy it on a summer afternoon.
1: So 2016, do you recommend opening it up a little bit early? Do you decant it or is it just coming straight out of the bottle?
2: I would say if you, I I don't, it doesn't need to be decanted. I do believe if you open it up about an hour, hour and a half, two hours before you drink it, that would be best just to, just to like, just to liven it up a little bit because it has been stuck in that bottle for four years.
1: Sure. I mean, I'd need to stretch my legs if I was stuck in a bottle for four years.
2: (laughs) And give it a nice little swirl in your glass, it'll be perfect.
1: Fantastic. It looks stunning. Wish I was there. Wow, look at that.
2: That's gorgeous.
1: Oh, it is. I'm I'm sorry that this is not being I'm sorry that we're not recording the video on this because that's just it looks absolutely fantastic. Thank you. So what's next? What's our next wine? <clears throat> Although you won't put that one down. <laughs> I don't know if I want to put that
2: down and still drink it. <laughs> So the next wine we're going to drink is our 2016 Holly's Block. And Holly is my grandmother, uh, my dad's mom. And she was this fantastic woman. She was an ambassador to the Americas under President Reagan. Um, She started multiple charities. Um, She started one called Women of Our Hemisphere that went down to South America and taught these women how to make money out of the goods that they were creating. So they would, they would sew and they would create, you know, bowls and all these things, but they didn't know what to do with them. So she taught these women how to actually make money off of what they were doing. So she was a fantastic woman. um, And I spent a lot of time with her. And so what I wanted to do was give an an homage to my grandmother.
1: Wow. Holly sounds like a woman well-deserving of this uh, vineyard block.
2: Yes, she was. And she was always perfectly dressed, right? She wore St. John knit outfits all the time and perfect lipstick and earrings. And her hair was always perfectly done, which is completely opposite of me because I (laughs) would rather be in my sweats and t shirt than anything else. Um, And Bill keeps this section of our property very well manicured. And he he trims the tops and he makes sure it looks good. So exactly how Holly was. Um, but when you pour it in the glass and you're tasting this wine, it's elegant and it's smooth and it's concentrated. And it's just one of those wines that makes me feel like I'm back with my grandmother.
1: Elegant. I love that description. Elegant. Just like Holly.
2: Yes. Um, so I'm Coravinning this because we only make less than 70 cases a year.
1: Wow. So this. this is special. Thank you. That's
2: so special. Um, and if you, Scott, you can see the bottle. The rest of you will have to order some. <laughs> so it's screen printed with her initial H um, for Holly. And then um, it goes around and tells the story. And then you've got the, the back label. The interesting part about this, this piece of land is that it's an old creek bed. So the Rector Creek used to come down through the Goose Cross property. And the main artery of the, the creek was right in the middle of Holly's block. So you can see a little dip in the vineyard when you're looking out from the, the tasting deck. And because it has both the rocky soils as well as the clay soils, the grapes ripen at different times throughout the seed growing season. So it's half an acre. We usually get maybe a ton, maybe a little under a ton of grapes off this property. They're off this block. And we pick it three times. So we pick the, the center grapes first because they ripen the most quickly. And then we pick the back probably five vines and there's about 30 rows. We pick the back five vines second and the front five vines third. And so that happens about two 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 and a half weeks apart. And then Bill ages them separately. He ferments them separately. And then we go through a blend tasting and pick the best of the best to put into hollies.
1: Wow, the, no wonder there's only seventy cases available.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, can you describe this wine?
2: Um, there's no description for this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think for me, the thing about Holly's that that stands apart from the this State Lane Cabernet is it has a little bit, um, it's a little bit bigger and bolder than our State Lane Cabernet. We do about um, 85 to 90% new oak. So you get a little bit more of that woodiness coming through on it. Um, And you get more of the black fruits coming through on this and some, some beautiful white pepper on it. And so as our, as our state lane, a state Cabernet has more of the red and black fruits. This one is really juicy blackberries and, and juicy blueberries. It's really the darker fruits. And then that peppery that comes through on the end.
1: Now I'll ask you the same question about uh, the Holly's Block as I did the state lane. Is, is this a wine you may want to decant or, 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 or get it open a couple hours early?
2: I would decant this wine. It is bigger than um, the state lane cab. I would decant it, give it a little bit of a swirl. Um, if you can't, if you can open it midday when you're going to drink it with dinner, I would.
1: Wow, and, and then you
2: don't need to decant it. I, but the way we make our wines is that they they're ready to drink when you open the bottle. And I've tried. We had a Pinot Noir shortage one year. We ran out of Pinot Noir. I'm like, Bill, we have to release the next Pinot. He's like, It's not ready. Like, I know, but I need to sell it. He's like, it's not ready. And we tasted it every month and he wouldn't let me release it until it was ready to be drank. And so that's how he he judges when we release our wines is if you can open the bottle and drink them right now.
1: And while you can drink them right now, what about the ageability, particularly in something like Hollies?
2: Hollies, you know, it, well, I always have to preface it. It depends on how you age it. Correct? Right. <laughs> Because I could say this could last for 20, 30 years, but if you put it in your basement next to the furnace, it's not going to last. <laughs> um, the, the acidity of this wine is, is right on for aging. And although our first vintage of this was 2013, we're now on our 2016. The 2013 is still t- tasting like it was yesterday that we made it oh. and it's seven years old. Um, I think this wine can age 17 to 25 years this is one of the wines. Our state line cab, I would say, fifteen to twenty years. Okay. Um, but we do make our estate wines um, to age.
1: Okay. And if I was lucky enough to get a bottle of Holly's, what is the what's the current release price on that? Uh,
2: one hundred and eighty. Oh. Okay is the 2016 release price. And when you do get back home to somewhere where I can send you some wine, I will definitely send you some.
1: Oh, thanks. I can't wait to try it. I really, I'm just watching you and I just, um, I'm salivating. <laughs> not, not a pretty look for me, which I'm glad we don't have the video. <laughs> well, Christy, I, I can't thank you enough for joining me on today's podcast. This has been a lot of fun. It's good to virtually see you. I can't wait until... Uh, I can see you in person, hopefully one day soon. And it's just been a genuine joy to to spend this time with you.
2: Thank you so much, Scott, for for inviting me to be on the show. It was so much fun.
1: And stay tuned for part two of this interview when Christy's husband, Dave, is going to join us to talk about their family project. That'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley, and the music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP and WTOP.com. And remember, until the next time, do good, drink well.